Should we start with a check-in? Yeah. Do you want to kick off, Tobes? Uh, yeah. So I'm checking in at, I'd say an 8.5, actually. I've had a really nice day. Been for a nice long walk around a few parks. Well rested. And also this is day 17 of non-drinking for me. So I'm pretty proud of myself. Thanks for sharing, mate. That's good. 8.5. That's high for you, Toby. It is high for me, yeah. Wow. That's the highest I think you've ever checked in. I'm higher now because of that. What about you, Gaff? Yes, I haven't been drinking for 17 days, 8 hours and 46 minutes and 10 seconds. I'm not counting. I'm fluctuating at the moment. Obviously, I'm normally an 8. That's my go-to. And I sort of drop down to 5s, which is low for me. I don't normally go to 5s. Very, very rare. Go to a four, three. Homeschooling is obviously the biggest part of that. And then the weekends. And I went for a family walk today. And and top off the family walk, I fell over in the mud and got absolutely saturated. And I was like, right, that's it. I don't want to do family walks ever again. I basically, I basically turned into a toddler. I was like, no, I don't want to do this anymore. But being here, seeing you guys, knowing you're an 8.5, I'm definitely up to my 8 now, definitely. Thanks, Gav. Ben? Okay, so before I got on this call, I was a 6.5. I've been there for a few days, homeschooling last week, and just the kids are just full on. We had a family walk today as well, but um, because it was going to be so intense, we decided to split the family. So I went with the girls one way to the harbour, Claire went with the boy uh, the other way, and it was horrible. <laughs> it was just horrible on every level. It was just arguing and fighting. I've just had a pillar fight with them to try and sort of get some energy out of them. But uh, uh, again, ends in tears. But I've lifted again just by 0.5 by seeing your smiley faces. So I'm, I'm checking in at a 7, but I was a 6.5. <laughs> So in our very first Talk Club podcast, you said to me... Why did you get involved, Toby? Why did you want to do this? And I said... I think that's something I'd like to come back to another time. I feel like now is a good time to be talking about the reason I got involved in Talk Club, which is in February of 2018, my cousin Russell died from suicide... And it was such a cataclysmic shock to the whole family and to all of his friends. I did what lots of people do after a few months. I decided to uh, raise some money for Calm, the campaign against living miserably. And that was linked to a half marathon and giving up alcohol for a few months. And then in the run up to the half marathon, a friend of mine said to me, my neighbour is making a film about his friend who also died from suicide and she sent me the details of the film and this film was, of course, Steve, Ben's film. And then I came to see Steve at St George's, the premiere of Steve at St George's in Bristol, which was in March 2019. And I went on my own and St George's was packed. And... It was so powerful and that's part of the reason why I wanted to 
do this podcast this evening is because it was the first time anyone had really articulated any aspect of how I was feeling. And I cycled home as quickly as I could after that film and burst into tears. And it was then a few months afterwards that I got in touch with you, Gav, and said, you know, I really love what Talk Club's doing and can I be involved and can we make the podcast? And then that's that's where my whole association with Talk Club starts. And I feel it's important that we talk a little bit about suicide and about the aftermath of suicide and how it affects us and how it affects other people. And I think also how it's regarded in society. I just, I don't think it is talked about enough and as such... There's a stigma around it and there's a taboo around it as a subject. And I think it's healthy because whilst Talk Club is a men's mental health fitness group, that's so important. It's not a suicide prevention group. That's something you've both reinforced. There are obviously people in the group who have been affected by it in one way or another. And I think if we have a conversation about it, it will help other people. We should probably say if anybody has been recently bereaved by suicide and they feel like this might be too tough a listen, that's totally fine. And also, going back to the fact that Talk Club is a men's mental health group, I wanted to say, Gav, you know, you're a trained counsellor. If anyone is struggling out there, either with their own feelings or in the aftermath of this, where should they look for for support? Thanks for sharing your story, Toby. Uh, firstly, as always, Samaritans, you know, are incredible, are amazing. And as you said, mind, calm and BACP, first point of call for counsellors and therapists uh, to contact and get in contact with them. I mean, I know there's a stigma and we we'll talk about that, about going to the GP and what to say, what to do. But first thing and foremost you know, is, is, is communication, talking, talking to people, letting people know how you feel that you're feeling low. I think that's the first most important thing because I think like you said, you went home and cried about after the film because you felt really emotional and upset. And then what you did is, oh, I'm going to do something about this. I'm going to do a run and raise money for Calm. I'm going to contact Talk Club and get... I think that's the key, isn't it? It's doing something about it before it gets too late along the line of, oh, that's it. I'm shutting down and I'm done. So I think the most important thing, if, if people are feeling low, is you can get through this. You will get through this. And I think that's the most important thing. You can get through it. It will pass. But... There's counsellors, therapists, there's more counsellors than there's ever been. So there's so much help out there. But strangely, um, I think that's another thing to talk about. Strangely, the numbers are so high. And I think now, I think the recent numbers are a man takes his life every 90 minutes, which is very, very sad. I mean, that's what Talk Club is all about, is actually trying to remove remove that stigma of talking about your feelings. And that's the reason why we, we latched on to the idea of mental fitness, because we really, really believe that if you look at it as fitness, that means you can go up and down. And as we know with our numbers and our check-ins, I can feel that little bit better by seeing your faces. So it's so important to actually establish that this brain thing that we've got between our ears doesn't look after itself. It needs help. And that's the reason why I've always been a massive believer in therapy. I believe a lot in talking, a lot in writing, a lot in all these different ways of looking after ourselves. But this last year, we've been tested by a sort of society, by everything. It's sort of like negative, negative, negative. And it's, so I think the thing is that we can look at why these things are happening, 
but also it's a lot to for me it's a lot about actually trying to sort of almost take ownership of your feelings a lot earlier i mean like even when people sort of say talk to your friend about it or talk to like I, i keep saying like People don't know how to talk. Some people don't know. Blokes don't know how to talk at some, uh, about feelings. It's not something we've ever been taught. It's like our parents, our dads and our granddads, they found it harder to talk. It's like saying to someone, go and speak Latin. I can't speak Latin, so why would I be able to speak feelings? But I think what we're trying to do with TC is that easy technique of how are you out of 10 starts that conversation. Yeah, that's very true. I wonder if we might start by talking a little bit about what it's like to be bereaved through suicide. I mentioned the word shockwaves when I was originally talking. That's how it's felt. Ben, you've talked about feeling like you've been mugged. And that moment will never disappear from me, as I'm sure it won't with you two. Before Steve took his own life, I'd never been around suicide. I'd been around mental illness, but I'd never been around suicide. And when I got a phone call from Steve's cousin, I knew it was Steve. I knew he was dead. But the last thing in my head was suicide. He used, to, he used to like to drive fast when we were zooming around the lanes down in Kent. So I thought it was, my automatic reaction is he died in a car crash. That was my automatic reaction. So when she sort of said he's taken his own life, I just sort of felt like just someone come up and punch me. I didn't know what to say. I don't even know what I said after that. And I don't remember the days after it. And I had to go down to his funeral. I carried his coffin. I sort of did a, did a eulogy to people I hadn't seen in 20 years. It was so... Bizarre, hard, comforting to be included, to actually being able to sort of grieve with these people, but confusing on every level. Because, I mean, I hadn't met his wife before the funeral. Because they got married just before they went to Canada and I'd been over there. We hadn't seen each other. We hadn't physically been in the same room with each other for nearly a decade. So then it was a weird one because it was like, can I own this grief? Am I allowed this grief? Like, surely someone's got more ownership of that grief than me. I've said his name every single day since. Uh, and I mean, it has been hard. I was sort of like, uh, even just getting onto this recording on a, on a Sunday night. I talk about suicide every single day and it's hard. It's hard. But I think what you do is when you get those emails in from what we've created with Talk Club and you get those people saying to you that they're still alive because of Talk Club or because of seeing the film, you sit there and you go, really? How can we have done that? So you do get this layer of, I couldn't save Steve but we might be able to save the next one. It is a particularly peculiar-shaped grieving process, I think, because of all the questions that get thrown up as a result of this. And I, I don't for a minute want to delve into the specifics of any of our loss because it's private. But I wonder, Gav, as well, from a therapist's point of view, is the grieving process with suicide different to any other grieving process? Or is it just as I say, a different shape. From my perspective, I went down a bit of a rabbit hole for a few months where I was looking for answers constantly. Yes, I would say, in a nutshell. I volunteered at Cruise for two years as a bereavement counsellor and I worked with a couple of clients that were bereft by suicide and it was by far the hardest cases I, I did and for me, it was the, the intensity of the guilt and anger was huge, especially when there's no note that's left as well. Then there's all these questions. 
Why could I have done this? If I'd have phoned him Tuesday, they wouldn't have died Wednesday. If I'd have done this, if I'd have worn those clothes, if I... And so there's all this guilt that builds up and builds up and builds up of I could have saved them, you know, this whole belief that I could save them, not that they can save themselves. And then obviously the anger that follows that because the anger actually is at the person who's died. They have fundamentally killed themselves. And that is as blunt as it gets, I'm afraid. And that's why in therapy we talk about it and say, you know, they have killed themselves. It's not taken their life. You know, it's killed. And that's the anger in the action. And that's the anger that's left for all the relatives and friends that are left with the suicide afterwards. And you have to deal with that anger and deal with the thought that that person was in the state they were in as well. It's all the questions that come up that I've heard from people and from myself. Suicide seems to have been in my life for quite a long time, and maybe that's what drew me to cruise. But a close friend of mine, when I was 22, tried to take their life. They thankfully survived. I found them, and they survived. So I've seen it firsthand in someone trying to do it and survive. I've seen it at cruise where, obviously, people have taken their life and then obviously one of the main reasons for me being involved in talk club really is um through my dear friend rupert his brother miles who took his life coming up to two years ago this year so i've i've felt it firsthand and i've seen the devastation that it leaves on the friends and family but the strange thing about it it's the, the, the paradox is is that it's for the self against the self and so as much as we think it's selfish it's that sense of well actually it's not selfish because it's against themselves and so for me the answer to the question is it really is the guilt and anger that takes so long to to to, well you don't get over it you just learn to live with it but i'll be interested from your guys point of view with your own experience of being bereft by suicide how the guilt and anger was for you guys? That's an interesting question. I think in a similar way. So Ben, you said that you hadn't seen Steve for such a long time. So I should also say that I had seen my cousin on and off, but I was just beginning to get to know him as an adult. And it, it that was really special. And so I think I was grieving to an extent that that relationship had come to such an abrupt halt. And then I I think as time went on, I also grieved for his immediate family and friends. I don't think I had anger, actually. I just find it very, very sad. Yeah, just find it intensely sad. And all of the things you mentioned, Gav, all of those, you're absolutely right, all of those questions do cross the mind, even though I hadn't seen lots and lots of my cousin. I remember thinking, I'm sure I sent him a message saying, are you okay at the moment? But in my head, I don't know whether it's a false narrative. I may never have sent that text message, but there's a bit of me that thinks I did a few months before he died. So yeah, a lot of questions. And well, for a time, there were a lot of questions. And over time, I found that they sort of all slowly kind of fell away. I had anger, but it was a strange anger. It wasn't an anger for me, in a sense. The anger for me was seeing his mum uh, and his dad. 
because they were such influential people in my childhood, but also in shaping me. And they're such kind and caring and beautiful people and always laughing. And when I actually decided to do the film, which was three or four years later, when I walked in and started talking to her, I said his name and she had to walk out of the room. It could have happened yesterday for her. She was still living there that much. As you must do if you're a parent, you just hold that blame. You just hold that sort of like, it was my fault. And it was like, well, of course it's not your fault. It's a combination of a million things for why someone got that ill. But I think my anger was towards him then by seeing the wreckage that he left behind, seeing Les blaming himself, seeing Lowell blaming herself. Bex, his cousin, talked to him until like one o'clock the night before and she actually said the words, you're like, you're not going to do anything silly, are you? And he's, no, 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 of course I'm not. But I found out later that the note that, that he left, he'd written that two weeks before. He had that in his pocket. He knew what he was doing. And this was sort of, this was a thing of how ill he was. So there's a rational side for me knowing that I, like, it had gone too far. I couldn't have done anything different. If I'm trying to be honest with myself, and my mum's a therapist, and there's lots of things with sort of suicide and copycatting and stuff like that. So my mum was very, very worried about me when it happened, because you take these things on and sort of move these things about. But I worked through a lot of therapy in those three years and talked about it a lot and tried to work out why. But you'll never know why. And I think for me, there was lots of that thing of going, what if I'd done that? What if I'd done that? What if I'd done that? And I looked through his Facebook page on on the day before he died. And it's just like, these are all crying out for help. But you look through anyone's Facebook page and you can see exactly the same words on there. So hindsight's an amazing thing. So I, I, I don't know. I sort of, I look at it and I go... I can't go back, and that's the whole reason why why we're trying to do what we're doing, and the reason why we are trying, the reason why Talk Club is so far upstream, that's the reason why it was created, was to go so far, like, almost get you before you become mentally unfit, get you mentally fit, so let's not worry about the obesity, let's get you to the gym and get you running, is basically the way that we were looking at it, because... When you people are going so far down that line, it's a lot harder. But saying that, I mean, we've had a load of people through Talk Club who sort of said Talk Club or the film has saved or changed their lives, which is amazing or ridiculous or all of the above. You're right. You mentioned illness there. I think that's really important to stress that we are talking about an illness here. And that I think that feeds into the societal stigma around it as well. Like the first question I remember being asked, apart from what happened was, were there any signs? And in a way, I understand where that question's coming from because people want to latch on to a narrative of depression, essentially. They want to know that there was a point A and then a point B and then a point suicide. And actually, I think for some of us, me, by the sounds of it, Ben, by the sounds of it, Gav, actually, it comes out of the blue, But we are talking about an illness. That person was ill in all likelihood. Yes, but I would say to sort of against that sort of stigma that suicide itself is not a mental illness. So the act of suicide is not regarded as a mental illness. So I would say that as well, that it's not only mentally ill people will take their life. Because I think that's the problem is it gets that stigma of, oh, if you're mentally ill, then next you're going to kill yourself. 
And I think that's the important thing to remember, that it could happen to anybody. And that's the scary thing about suicide. You know, it could happen to anyone you know, that suddenly tomorrow they're going to just go and do it. So I think that's the thing, is that stigma has sort of disappeared as such because... It is not a mental illness. But it's a result of, it it can be a result of. Yes, it absolutely can be. But what I'm saying is back in the day, it was, oh, people who are mentally ill will take their lives. No, but that's like saying people who are unfit will die of a heart attack. Yeah. And even having suicidal thoughts is not the signs of, that you will complete that. Exactly. Exactly. That's why I'm saying suicide is not a mental illness. The, The ideation, the act itself is not a mental illness. Sometimes I just want to scream and shout And let it all come falling out And I know that nothing lasts forever And every time we talk I feel lighter Ben, you made the film, and I really would urge everyone to watch it, whether you've been affected by suicide or not, but go and check out Steve a documentary. And you also did a very powerful TEDx talk about the film and about your experiences, and you were very moved during that time. The question I've wanted to ask you since we started this podcast was how you protect yourself when you're presenting the film around the country and delivering those talks because we're here we're trying to raise awareness but these are very powerful experiences that we've had that other people have had that people post on the talk club site about and I wonder about the balancing between talking about it and actually dealing with it how do you protect yourself yes it's a very good question before we hit lockdown I did I'm looking at my map now I did 49 screenings of Steve before lockdown. And the 50th was going to be at Bristol Beer Factory. And what I learned during it was I had a very, very strict routine about the way that I would do it. And it's quite hard. You go to a new area. And literally the idea was I'd do it as pub tours. I go into a pub. I'm I'm on my own. I've got my laptop. I talk to some people. Sometimes there'd be 10 people there. Sometimes there'd be 200 people there. So it was a very, very different thing. I'd have the same, near enough the same positive spin about what we did talking about it afterwards. And I almost like, I go, this is where everyone's up to now. I call it the Trojan horse, if you like, of getting people into Talk Club. And Neil, one of the other founders, sort of says, you can actually see the people who hit the website and join Talk Club after a screening, you could see the, the numbers going up. What I would do is I would sort of warn them beforehand. I would sort of say, look, this film is is uncomfortable. It may bring up feelings. And I sort of admit, I go like, I can't watch the first 20 minutes of the film. It still upsets me. And there's a point in the film where he sort of puts his hand over the screen and it was taken when we were 17. And that is my cue to leave because that is actually, I give myself almost like this, I take a deep breath and I sort of like, okay, it's now my cue to leave. And I go outside, Gavin, my mum taught me this thing. It was literally, I get myself grounded very, very quickly. I take deep breaths. I clench my fists. I keep my feet to the floor. 
and I ground myself very, very quickly. And then I would actually either do some social media or ring someone positive. I actually just would ring either my mum or I'd ring my wife or if the kids were still up, I'd have a little chat to them or I'd ring one of my best friends and sort of have a chat to them. And it was like, it was literally these things of almost preparing myself for afterwards because afterwards there would be someone who needed to talk about themselves being unwell or having these thoughts or someone lost someone or worrying about someone. So I, I, I mean, I built it up after a while and I, I got into a quite a good protective routine. Then the TEDx kicked in and all the techniques that I was using weren't working. And I went up and did the, did my rehearsal before the TEDx and I, I couldn't cope. I started falling apart because what he was, Steve was a, a word inside a 12 minute speech. And it was really, really, really hard for me to sort of like to actually separate that thing out. And um, I was a mess the day before and I dreamt that he was still alive. And I woke up in the morning and I was like, it's half past six. And my first thing was I have to ring Caroline, who was the coach who'd been sort of seeing me through because Steve's alive. I can't do the talk. He's still alive. I mean, maybe maybe I could change the talk towards that. And I believed it for 10 minutes. I believed that he was still alive for 10 minutes. And then I remember falling to the floor and crying and then just being all over the shop. Uh, I'll try to go out for a run and um, broke down and crying and people were just looking at me like, who's this weirdo? And I wasn't going to do it. I went for another rehearsal that morning and I was terrible again. And I wasn't going to do it. And they sort of said to me, you don't have to do it if it's too much. And I was like, no, I, I need to do it. It's important to me. It's important to the mission that we're trying to create with Talk Club. Um, and I felt like I had to honour him again. I mean, I did it and it came out okay. I think we're up to 65,000 views on it so far. But it was it was the hardest thing I've ever done. That TEDx talk was the hardest thing I've ever done because I really didn't want to. I had to, but I didn't want to. But yeah, it's. Uh, I'm glad. I'm glad I did it. Yeah, people should definitely watch it. It's a really moving experience, and actually, in those twelve minutes, you'll find out lots about Talk Club as well. There's something in this about the long legacy. In my experience, I sort of felt like suicide had a very long shadow, and you're not always sure sure where that shadow is going to fall and who it's going to fall on. Really, Gavin, you you know, you found your friend when you were only in your twenties, and with Miles as well. Do you feel that lasting impact as well? Yes, but I suppose... I suppose like what Ben said earlier, it was a new thing to him when Steve took his life. Whereas, as I said, I've been around it for 20 years, it feels like. I've been around it a long time. And even up to recently, I've got a text message two days ago from a friend who lives with someone who's taken their life and they don't know what to do, you know, how to cope. You know, it's continuous, to be honest. You don't ever get used to it. Of course not. I read something the other day about someone had taken their life and it still hits, even though I don't know that person. I'm still like, oh God, what a waste. In fact, so much so, I think it actually inspires part of my songwriting. I think that's part of who I am as a songwriter. And I think, Toby, you always joke about, oh, Gav's so buoyant and upbeat. And I think that's part of because I want to live and I enjoy living and I want others to live and I want them to enjoy and have their best life. I want to write inspiring songs that make people want to stay alive, I suppose. And I suppose that, for me, is an inspiration. And sadly, and I think you're right, Toby, what you said at the beginning, it is around, 
I don't think I don't know anybody who doesn't know somebody who is affected by suicide. And unfortunately, it's not talked about. Nobody talks about it. It's a very taboo subject. And in fairness to the media, they've stopped talking about it because they don't want it to be a copycat thing where, oh, if people are thinking about it and they hear about it on the news, then they will then go and do it, which I'm not sure is the case. But I understand why they've decided to have a blanket no one reporting any suicides in the country but the sadness to that is that if it does happen to you then you feel very isolated because no one wants to talk to you about it who wants to talk to you about a death and then b suicide i mean it's almost you know one step up beyond death so it can be very i think that's another key word isn't it it feel very isolating that's what makes me angry, actually, and that's what makes me upset. It's the fear of people crossing the road. This didn't happen to me, but I know people it's happened to, and that's what upsets me. But at the same time, you, maybe the media are on to a point. I had that real dilemma with this about whether we should record this or not, because is this stigma busting or is this just making it worse for people who are struggling? I hope it's the former. I hope it's better to talk about it so that people have got a sense of shared experience so that they don't feel isolated. But it's a tough one to decide. And at the same time, people make jokes about killing themselves all the time. I can de- I can actually deal with instances of people taking their life, although it makes me upset. But the little jokes about people doing it, somehow it just slices a little bit off me. Well, this is the thing for me. I've noticed this. The way TV writers and film writers use suicide as a comedy. Do you know, in Mr Bean's Holiday, there's actually a sketch where a bloke is about to throw himself off a bridge and he and the, he's trying to ring all these numbers and he pulls out his phone. It's a, they're making a joke about it. And this is the thing that bothers me, is that it's society still doesn't know where to place it. I mean, like, I know that there's been, for the Yates family, there's been that do we talk about it. Do we talk about Steve taking his own life? But you don't shy away from cancer and you blame the cancer, but we don't blame the state that that person was in when this happens. We blame ourselves. And that's why, to me, that's why it gets so confusing. And there's this thing where, like even just saying the word suicide, like people are scared of saying that. We all did mental health first aid training. And one of the things they sort of said is that don't shy away. Don't say uh, you're not going to do anything silly, are you? Say, are you feeling suicidal? Because basically, you're not going to convert them over by saying that word. But we are so scared of it that if we say it, we think that we're uh, adding to it. There's lots of fantastic experts out there who who can help. Like with Cruz, there's other talking groups. And because of these people who have got these shared experiences, who have been bereaved. Because if you haven't been bereaved by suicide, you don't know what it's like. When I did a, a scene in the film where I got Lowell, Steve's mum, and Jackie, who lost her son Chris, and they had this horrible shared experience. They've both lost their son to suicide. And it was horrible, but it was actually comforting for both of them. And I think there's so much confusion over it where we shy away and we hide as a society, or we make jokes about it, or we make jokes about mental illness or we make jokes about therapy and i think that's what bothers me about it it's still as as gav said at the beginning it's taken a man every 90 minutes in the uk i think it'd be important to discuss 
advice for others and signs to look for maybe i think that might be something from our experience to to maybe talk about that i believe you can't stop someone i had it recently with a friend i spoke to them a week before and was telling them all these things about the devastation it causes on the family and the kids and you don't want to do it and a week later they attempted to take their life thank god they survived but they still did it because of my training in therapy you're you are trained if someone so much as mentions the word suicide you confront it you talk about it and say okay it's in the room what's happening have you got any thoughts you know, and try and normalise it as much as possible. Who's going to feed the cat when you're gone? Who's going to do that? You know, try and normalise it so that it becomes, it's okay to talk about this. And I did the same with my friend and, and they still tried. So it just shows you it's very, very hard. And I think I'm I'm saying this because for those out there who are listening, have lost someone and you're carrying that guilt, and, and I know it's not easy, it's easier said than done, but it's very hard to stop someone. And like, But I think there are signs we can look out for. I think, you know, if people are leaving their socials, selling up, a general disconnecting from society and friendship groups. I know at the moment it's very hard, even so, because we're all disconnected. But I think that's a good sign, actually, for us to look for. How we feel at the moment in society, we're very disconnected. Well, that's how someone feels all the time. So I think it's a good good example to understand what it's like for someone who's feeling suicidal is they are feeling absolutely hopelessness and disconnected from society. And this is what we're all going through at the moment. So I think we all get a really good understanding of what it must be like for someone and what to look out for. And that's why, to summarise all this up, that's why things like talk club are great because it's talking it's staying connected it's community you've got that hope and that's the key thing i think i look at it as sort of almost death by a thousand cuts so i think that we are hurt daily by things around us by anxiety by money by relationships and we we are cut we are cut we're not physically cut but we're cut and if we talk and we let that things heal then we are only ever in the first third. So Talk Club helps us in that first third of that harm. And then the second third is when we're going, okay, we're a bit too many cuts here, a bit too deep. That's when you need to be going to therapy. That's when you need to be seeing those professionals and actually preventing those things. And then that final third, that is when it's, it's worry time now. Talk Club is all about that first third, releasing that pressure, making sure we give ourselves the space, the time, and the confidence as well to heal. And I think that's the reason why why we've seen Talk Club grow so much is because there's so much need there. There is so much need there. On that note, actually, I just want to quietly say a thank you to somebody in the Talk Club community who was the first person who I'd had a proper, honest and open chat with about what it was like to experience suicide. And um, you'll probably know who he is anyway, but... Uh, one of the captains who was extremely helpful and articulated things that I hadn't talked about for months and months and months. And it was so helpful. It was so useful. And you're right about the first third. It's so important that people come onto the group and just get their positive feelings out there, get their negative feelings out there and just keep releasing that pressure valve because ultimately that could save them. And just by asking them, how are you out of 10 now? 
can actually change all that because I've been up and down. I've been down to a four and a half. I mean, I haven't been thinking of suicide, but I've been very low over this time. But if you will see me down the street, you'd never think I'd be low. But because I've been learnt how to to go with the feeling, as Mr Thorpe keeps saying to me, go with the feeling, I let it out. I'm allowed to let that out and sort of go, OK, I'm a, I'm a six and a half, but it's OK to be a six and a half out of ten. It's OK to know that tomorrow I will feel more. And I think that that's a lot of things that we don't do that enough. I don't think we let ourselves, give ourselves that permission to feel bound I would like to thank you both for sparing the time to talk about suicide, to talk about this very difficult subject. It's really helped me. I really appreciate it, guys. And as such, I kind of want to check out on two numbers in a way. I want to say on one level, I'm still an 8.5, how I checked in, because this has been hugely helpful in another way. I kind of want to check out on a 7.5 because it's brought up a, a bit of emotion. I'm feeling sad about that. But I'm so grateful to have this opportunity to discuss it. And I hope it helps other people out there. And also, this is a classic me sign off, but this isn't the Grief World Cup. I don't want anyone to think that I claim to have a worse experience of grieving than anybody else. And if you've lost a child or you've lost a sibling or parent or an aunt you know an auntie and uncle this is a tough process to go through for whoever experiences it and this is just my experience thanks for sharing tobe unfortunately i was going to do the same if i checked in at 6.9 i probably haven't gone up than that but again i i've been looking at a photograph of him as we've been talking i'm exhausted it's like when you come out of a therapy session i don't i don't feel great but I know it'll get better. So I'm, again, two numbers. I'm probably down to sort of a six. But I sort of f- feel it's been a positive experience. Mm, thanks for sharing, Ben. I feel the same. I think I'd have to have two numbers. I'd have to have give my head an eight and a half and then give my heart a six and a half. I think the head and the heart I'd have to separate in this scenario. My head is, yeah, I'm feeling, this is great, really nice to see you guys and talk again. I love doing the podcast, but then my heart is feeling heavy because of what we've talked about and, and what you guys have shared. And, and thank you, Toby, for putting this together. It's really brave of you to want to talk about this subject, which, as we said, n- nobody talks about. And I think it's really important that we do talk about it because this podcast might save somebody's life or it might help someone to deal with their grief who have lost someone as well. So I think on, for that reason alone, that's, it's an amazing thing to do. So that's me. While we're here, actually, I'd like to thank you both as well. Tobes, for all your hard work on all, all these podcasts. And Gav, actually, my friendship with you keeps growing and growing and growing. But the support that you've given me emotionally as well, uh, I value you so much. So thank you. Anytime, mate. Ditto, I feel the same. Absolutely. It's a shame we can't all give each other a hug, isn't it? I would love a hug right now, I tell you. <laughs> oh, just love a hug. <laughs> <laughs>